I know every time I step into mass uh, that I am both invited um, and accepted and that my sin is not tolerated. Mm, that's right. And uh, that's, that's a message that's applied to me. It's applied to both of you. Certainly. And it's been applied to every human being, mm -hmm. priest, bishop, pope, throughout the course of human history. And that, I think it's a really good thing because, because I know that uh, it it sets a it sets a bar of expectation that um, there there should be no harsh judgment between individuals because we are all in process toward heaven, and yet at the same time we just simply can't compromise on the things that uh, that maybe we'd be tempted to because because we want to belong or be accepted. <laughs> Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. My name is Dan Dimite, and I'm joined here today with my good friends and brothers in Christ, Brad Piron yes, and sir. Mr. Aaron Richards. Hello, friends. How are you guys doing? Great. Yeah, yeah. What's the Lord been speaking to you in your life this week? Mm. <laughs> you first? It's a, it's a bold question just to start like off it. the show with. I, I was uh, yesterday... So we're recording on a Monday. Yesterday was uh, yesterday was good Sabbath at the conclusion of our equip week, and mm -hmm. we celebrated our closing mass on Saturday night. And I I like didn't do anything yesterday. <laughs> I, needed, <laughs> I needed a complete reset. Yeah. So I I even picked up like a spiritual reading book once and read about a paragraph and then put it down. <laughs> so I think the Lord is giving permission to take a deep breath. <laughs> I did something similar yesterday. What I would say was still on my mind yesterday yeah. was uh, we celebrated a vigil mass on Saturday night for mm -hmm. uh, Trinity Sunday. And Bishop Earl Fernandez, I think covered all of salvation history yeah. plus the ramifications into actual like secular history in the course of 30 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't understand how that happened, but it blew my mind. I looked at, <laughs> I looked at Nina like a number of times, like, He's actually doing this. Like he's covering the entire spectrum. There's the charisma. Like it was just amazing. With no notes. He just flows. I know. Yeah, yeah. It was beautiful. But it's not like it was just um, let me share everything with you. You could see how he was tying it into our missionary deployment. You could see how he was tying it into the idea that relationship with Jesus is what's going to sustain you when things get hard. Like it wasn't just like aimless. A lot of it wasn't a lot of content without aim. It was like clearly laid out in a way that you could take with you. It impressed me. So I was trying to like reflect on Lord. I, I don't know what I was trying to reflect yeah. on. I was blown away with how yeah. amazing it was. And just thinking about the words he shared. How yeah. are you Dan? Um, well that uh, yesterday was a, a great Sabbath day after 10 days of ministry as well. And so I went to zoom busy Bay. That's always <laughs> uh, a, a joyful. Bay. Yeah. I haven't been there since the early two thousands and nothing has changed. <laughs> For anyone listening outside of Columbus, this is a water park that's attached to our zoo and it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So it was great. But, uh, no, I, I think that mass that, uh, our vigil deployment mass was such a beautiful, uh, experience as well. Mm -hmm. I was just, uh, the Holy spirit was so 
palpable that <laughs> evening. And so uh, I'm really excited for what the Lord is going to do this summer at Catholic Youth Summer Camp and all these campers' lives mm-hmm. and just the radical life that he has called us to. Um, if you're joining us for the first time, this is a show where encounter meets mission. It's called Beyond Damascus because like St. Paul, who had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus and was deployed to a life of mission, we want our encounter not just to be about me and Jesus and the special moment, but we want it to be a place that deploys us into a life of mission so other people can encounter Jesus. And this episode is going to be really fun. We're going to address the misconceptions that people have with the Catholic Church. So when we talk about the Catholic Church, and and mm. I think a lot of times in mission, we as Catholics, we want to evangelize, but then there are these conversations we get into, and they're just these strong misconceptions where it's not that they uh, it's, it's it, the hardship sometimes in evangelization is it's that they, it's not that they disagree with what the church teaches. They just don't know what the church teaches and they disagree with what they think the church teaches. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they're angry towards the church and it's like, well, well the church isn't actually like believe that. And, mm-hmm. and so there's these strong misconceptions people have. And so we're going to address three of them today before I announce what the three misconceptions are. And we dive into those. What do you guys like? Have you seen that ha- play out where you're like, you're trying to share the gospel or you're just in conversation with someone and they give this like sweeping comment about what the church is or why the church is horrible. And you're like, that's not even what the church believes. Mm -hmm. I mean, that seems to be like the entire social commentary on Catholicism, which is really unfortunate. And, uh, and, and it's usually the areas where, where Catholics aren't present. I feel, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, um, Dan and I are both raising uh, teenagers and, uh, and a couple, couple rising up into the ranks. And as, as, as I think about like, what are the, where are the areas that my, that my kids are being influenced outside of our home? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's those misunderstandings that happen in the school systems. It's those misunderstandings that happen in the context of a classroom, right? That, that, uh, it's, it's those misunderstandings that happen on, uh, in internet and, and popular media that, that the church is rarely represented in truth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you don't intentionally go and search it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think my, I think that's par- part of the reason I'm so passionate about mission is I don't actually think that when you're presented the fullness of what the church believes, that it's as refutable as the, the straw men's that are straw men, I guess, that are built in the world. Um, because there's actually something really beautiful to the faith that we call ours, that mm. it actually gives solution, not just problems. It gives a framework and a lens for dignity that you don't find aimlessly. And so I think that that's been a huge, um, catalyst for my own ministry is yeah. I really want to bring what the church teaches to your average person so that when they hear it, it's like, I always thought that was meaning this or that was meaning this. So giving clarity has been a passion of mine. So yeah, I would say that it's been since my um, kind of conversion that I've recognized, wow, I don't know if people really know what we teach, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's, it's funny because one of the things I uh, came across a lot in college was with, it, 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 to Aaron's point, you said um, it happens when Catholics just aren't present in in those spheres. And like with Protestant groups, they, a lot of times they would say, oh, Catholics worship Mary. And it's like, well, no, like like mm. from, from a Catholic perspective, like no Catholic would ever agree with that. But it's like, because it's like, no, never once has my heart been led to worship Mary, you know? It's, like, it's even worse when, when Protestants like Catholics and they're like, yeah, we'll accept you. 
even though, yeah. even though yeah. you worship Mary. Mary. Well, I think, well, there, why would you make that concession? Yeah. And also, I think, I, I, oh man, I wish I, I would have uh, looked this up before we came on, but I think it was in like the fourth century or something. There actually was a sect that started worshiping Mary and it was declared heresy. Yeah. And so it's like, no, the church has actually spoken definitively that that is actually not what? the stance of the church. But you don't even have to, go, I mean, like it just is asinine. No, to think. sure, like, sure. But it is, it is funny how huge of a misconception that is in Protestant circles. But when, you know, when we're in relationship hmm. with Protestants, and so when we have ecumenical relationships and we're praying with other Protestant brothers and sisters and mm-hmm. we're relating with other Protestant brothers and sisters, none of my, like my Protestant friends who I have relationship with and who we as a community pray with, or they pray with us. Mm-hmm. None of them are like, Oh yeah. Like we're friends with you, even though you worship Mary, they, they know that I don't worship Mary because yeah, right. we're, in, we're in relationship with them. And, and I think that that is key that if Catholics are going to clear up misconceptions, we need to be a church that is in relationship with these different pockets, right? Whether yeah. that's the um, our Protestant brothers and sisters, our, the LGBT movement, the uh, the public school system, arts mm-hmm. and entertainment, that when we make ourselves present in these spheres of influence, mm-hmm. we can actually start clearing up the misconceptions through our own witness and through our own lifestyle. Yeah, we also have to, um, I, I think, address something up front before we get into the misconceptions that people find in the church, because I think sometimes the misconceptions come from the fact that someone has dug their heels in so much to a way of thinking that they don't even want a properly ordered response, if that makes sense. That so like, never and, happens and that in all, our culture. Always, that always never. right? Sports, Everyone look at like sports very debate. open-minded. <laughs> we, we live in a no, tolerant, it, open-minded society, Brad. I've had to check my own self. Like we, uh, we have this little um, debate chat within some of our missionary staff on who's the best basketball player of all time. It's it's literally named MJ or LeBron. Yeah. And I'm one of the few this that is, stands um, for LeBron this James. This comes up on so the show frequently. A, does it actually? <laughs> I'm sorry uh, no, if I know it comes up, up in your life frequently. frequently this, yeah, is not yeah, yeah. A, this isn't like well, a week long conversation. No. This has been a multi year. Yes, I've had feud. to like check my heart. But it, no, it's, uh, <laughs> I think it's something that's just taught me that whenever we're in a conversation like this, and I want to say this because <laughs> anyone that's listening, if you're coming in and you have thoughts about the church that you think are um, not in alignment with how you want to live your life, I'd encourage you to hang around throughout the conversation. And if you're listening on the radio or something, find our podcast and like make comments, get in contact with us because I think it's in that dialogue that we actually see a lot of progress made, right? Because so, so often we hear something that's against what we've built a life around. And so it's hard to kind of shift our perspective, but that's where transformation happens. Well, and if you're listening to the episode right now and you're offended because Bra- Brad has said that LeBron James is somehow a better basketball Please player than Michael us. Jordan, text me. Uh, just know that's not church dogma <laughs> and uh, that and you, the can Brad join, you can is, join the group chat. Yeah, Brad could be wrong. And please like and comment on that as well. Please like comment that MJ clearly Please is don't come with some like pre-made <laughs> statistical graphic that I've already refuted, uh, please. Yeah. So if, uh, uh, if you bring all of, if you bring all of your stats, I will be glad to have a conversation. All right. So the three misconceptions we're going to address today um, are that the the church is outdated, um, that uh, the church doesn't care about people or doesn't love certain groups of people, and um, that the church is all about 
religion and not about relationships. So why don't we dive into these fun topics? Uh, that first one, the, the church is outdated. Raise your hand if you've ever heard someone say the church is outdated. For those listening, <laughs> yeah. we're all raising our hands. Someone's driving right <laughs> yeah, now. Someone's like, yeah, me, sure. Yeah, so, I mean, the church is outdated, right? That uh, the... The um this this kind of like oh okay well the yeah what the church teaches it's just this these old guys in Rome coming up with this stuff and they mm -hmm. haven't gotten with the times and and stuff like that how do you guys address that misconception that the church is outdated? First thing I would say is it's ever ancient and ever new. Mm -hmm. So the um the reality is that the church has foundations that go all the way back to ancient times. Yeah. And it also has a living relationship with the Holy spirit and the Holy spirit is breathing uh, into the church and giving her um, a lens to see the truths of old through the light of what's happening in the world today and allows us to bring those ancient truths in new ways. And I think that that's something that is usually where I go when mm -hmm. I first hear it, but yeah, I wonder what I, you I think, think I usually I guess the way that I communicate this is that there's a difference between something being old and outdated and something being stable. And it, it, there, there have been a lot of organizations and belief systems that have been old and outdated over the course of human history, and those have ceased to exist. And, uh, you know, y y there, are, there are a handful um, that, have stayed, that have stayed the test of time and Christianity, Catholicism being arguably the most influential, uh, you know, Judaism, for example, has been around longer than Catholicism. Uh, but, but the overall world influence of, mm. of the Christian message has been, uh, without compare, the most influential message that, that continues to stand the test of time. Interesting. Yeah. Because the, the thought is that I'm saying it's outdated because it's been around a long time and it hasn't changed its mind. Right. But that might actually be one of the reasons why it's yeah. not outdated. Uh, I mean, other things have been around a long time and haven't changed their mind too, like gravity. Yeah, sure. Right. No, 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 exactly. No, I, that's <laughs> really good. That's true, really good. Yeah, it, it stays. Well, and it maybe per the reason it has stayed is because it, it, the, the truths are universal demand. Mm. And so mm. as un... Uh, as unstable as you you would say, Aaron, the the world has been. Empires have have risen and fallen, and, and the, but the yeah. truths of humanity. I mean, the truths of Catholicism have stayed stable, and the the, the long lasting presence of the church is in part because of the stabi st stability of of truth. That yeah. truth will lead man to right yeah. order mm -hmm. for the best human flourishing. Well, another cool perspective on that that I think is is really valuable, and it it, it sort of grabs onto this principle of natural law. Yep. That that Catholicism is aligned to Christianity is aligned to a law that's deep enough that it's actually buried in the human heart, hmm. and those things don't change. So, John Paul II famously in the Theology of the Body he identifies that there's something actually in the the human flesh that reveals a core mm -hmm. of theology. And that doesn't shift. And the, the reason for that is because it, it's a truth that's so important that God actually buried it in our very being. Mm -hmm. So that even if you, if you haven't heard or don't even believe the message of Jesus, that you're still naturally, due to your physical nature, inclined in a direction that's actually in alignment with this message. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. When I, I just, when I pose the question to you guys, um, 
<laughs> about it, the church being outdated, I thought to myself, well, Grandpap is outdated, but it that doesn't mean he, <laughs> he doesn't have wisdom to share. And, yeah. I, and, I, and, you know, Grandpa doesn't know how to share his wisdom sometimes in the best <laughs> way. Uh, but that doesn't mean that, that what he has, like the, the church has this insane amount of wisdom that she has stir, mm-hmm. stored yeah. up over 2,000 years of insane debate and human experience yeah. and, mm-hmm. and divine revelation and Holy Spirit inspiration. And, and to, to think of, of, of the minds, just the mm-hmm. the the insane intellectual power that has has uh developed church teaching over the years yeah. in the early life of the church it wasn't people going for power that were influencing church teaching it was the the greatest scholars and the 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 most brilliant men and women seeking like the absolute truth that were diving into this mm-hmm. i have a i i have a funny um reaction to that. You know, every once in a while you have this new, uh, whether it's some social psychological theme or generalization that comes up where uh, somebody will come to me and indicate like, because I read this thing or because I heard this thing, I'm, I'm, I'm now doubting the veracity of everything. Yeah. <laughs> and as, in a similar line, not only the ones who have dedicated their hearts toward the pursuit of truth, but my response is often like, you know, do you think that do you think that this this new psychology or this new science um, is is in somehow in some way like mm-hmm. more sophisticated than all of the ancient philosophers? <laughs> like right. uh, you remember when 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 Paul went to to Greece and debated those scholars who truly like their lives were dedicated <laughs> toward the pursuit of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like, you know, the, the next, the next big social thing on YouTube isn't, isn't going to dethrone, um, either on the positive or on the negative, uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the greatest thinkers in this, in the course of history. Mm-hmm. Um, and the church has, the church has not only like survived all of those, uh, all of those attempts, but has continued to thrive. Well, a new age spirituality is not new, right? New age spirituality has tried to uh, like ebb and flow throughout human history. And the church has been a consistent triumph Mm -hmm. over that for uh, centuries, millennia. That's right. Yeah. Well, because you have to ask, what does it mean to be outdated, right? It it means that there's something happening now that is um, progressing past what something has. But what I would say is everything happening now has happened before. So like the idea that human sexuality hasn't been questioned before would be (laughs) ignorant to think, right? Like the idea that uh, someone's identity being primarily in the group and not primarily in the individual has been thought before. Like all of these um, kind of new things happening, I'm putting air quotes on that because they're not actually new. They're taking maybe a different lens or angle but the church has already stood with a refutation to that type of thinking. So in order for it to be outdated, we have to think, and I think this is where pride comes into it. Do we really think that today we have this like wealth of wisdom that has so far surpassed everyone that's ever existed that the very things we're experiencing now are so different than they were then that there's no ability to even dialogue. It just, there's so much pride in that, that like um, we, we presume uh, ourselves to be past something that others were yeah. wrestling well, with in the past. Pr- pride or just ignorance. 
Sure. And that's I think, actually, I think that's probably where well, it is. And aren't they often tied? Which, is, which isn't, uh, which isn't meant to be a criticism. No, yeah. I don't hear it as one because I think they're often tied. Like a lot of times when I find in myself, in, in myself, in myself and in others, um, it's like new bride, age spirituality. Yeah, I know, like, that's, why, that's why I started laughing. Um, but, um, like oftentimes when I find in myself a pride, it's because I'm, I'm ignorant to something. So like if I, um, I don't know, do something and I'm like, oh, that was like perfect. I'm ignorant of the other times I've done something very similar that wasn't perfect. Like there's, there's actually a correlation between me finding an end in myself and being ignorant to that, which has happened before. When I was 18 and coming into this, this place of, uh, o- o- alignment and obedience with the Catholic church, uh, it, like I had to, like before I was 18, I, I was, my mind was all over the place. Like I, I, I literally had a journal where I'd write down like what my future church was going to be like, you know, like I, yeah, I was cart. planning, yeah, I was planning on leaving Catholicism and that's exactly what it was like mm-hmm. a shopping cart. Like I agree with this. I disagree with this. And I remember a moment and I, I can't, it was in prayer where it's just like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to change the way I approach faith. And I'm going to submit myself to the authority of the church and assume that the church and her wisdom of 2000 years of inspiration of the Holy Spirit is correct on everything. As opposed to assume that I'm correct on everything in my 17 years of life, (laughs) right? That, and it was this like, it was this place of humbling and trying to get overcome my own ignorance of like, I'm only seven, like there is absolutely no way that in my lifespan, I have learned more than the church has over her lifespan. Mm -hmm. And so just that place of, okay, I'll be on my knees and assume you're correct. And I will find why you teach what you Mm -hmm. teach. Mm -hmm. And I, I, when I went on that journey, I I found, and like, it was, it was hard to suggest that the church wasn't right about everything, right? That like, that there was an answer to every question that I was willingly, willingly, uh, that I was willing to actually seek. Yeah, we've talked about um, Nina and I's intercession board before on the show. And for those listening who might not have heard that, Nina, my wife and I, we sit down on Sunday and we put up the intercessions of the week. Long story short, uh, Nina, after seeing that this year had had a few areas that were just more difficult for us in our intercession, she put up one day um, in her personal prayer time, a piece of paper right in the middle of the board that was from Job. And it said, where were you when I laid the foundations? Hmm. And it's been such a a call to me every day. And we've left it up since she put it up. And it must've been, I don't know, um, nine months ago or something like that, maybe a year ago. And um, I've been looking at it just every day. Where were you when I laid the foundations? And, And it allows me to see that there's just so much that has happened from the beginning to now that to your point, Dan, to presume in my, you know, 29 years of existence that I have somehow overcome the thousands and thousands of years of collective wisdom. It just seems so laughable when you look at it in that context. And it helps us realize people have been thinking these things through and what a gift that is to be able to build from that, not, not build absent that. When I wonder what, what does the person mean when they say the church is outdated? A lot of times they, they probably just mean, I disagree with what the church teaches, right? That the church Hmm. that, or that the secular culture that um, that the church goes up uh, is opposed to the secular culture, right? That the, this, and it, you're, so then your foundational block is you assume that the American pop culture is truth, right? That, that American pop culture has figured out how life should be, which is, we know that American politics is filled with lies and deception. And yet, um, 
we most of American pop culture is this like reaction to the media or to to the lies and deception of 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 just what's happening. Um, it's really curious too, Dan, as you mentioned that, like just how uh, how fickle American pop culture is. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm even thinking I haven't had this conversation with anybody yet, but at, at this point. You know, again, not not to make any political statement necessarily on on COVID nineteen and how like mm-hmm. that was handled. I would suggest that probably there is nobody at this point who would suggest that, or who would who would say that the way that um, culture responded to COVID nineteen was good mm-hmm. or appropriate or true, right? Yep. In 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 some way or in varieties of massive ways we veered off course yeah. and culture led us to a place of making wrong decisions. Yep. Uh, I wonder, I wonder maybe if even, you know, as you, as we refute or talk to people around those topics, if, uh, if, if that's a good case study for the fact that you can't always trust, you know, well, and, what people think and think of what's, what's, what's driving the decision. So with COVID, what was, well, politicians wanting to get reelected. So popular opinion and popular satisfaction drove their decisions. Mm-hmm. What's drives the media's decisions likes, they just want to get attraction. Yeah. What's driving the church's decision, the best human life, right? The salvation. <laughs> and so the, the church is choosing to upset people and choosing to let people walk away and leave without changing what she teaches that's good. Like she, because she isn't there for popularity. She's there to be the, the, the source of truth and life in the world. So it like, if anything, everyone else who's going after money and likes mm-hmm. and popularity and acceptance, the church is literally being rejected. Just like John chapter six, where Jesus allows his disciples to leave because the teaching was hard. It's like, well, the church's teaching is hard. Mm-hmm. And if we're letting people leave, don't you think that maybe that teaching is really, really important to look at. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the danger of the extremes too, is that at the extremes, what, what drives people's like lower motivations the most fear and dissent, right? The idea that I I'm afraid of something being like, I'm in dissent. Namely, I'm afraid of being duped. Right. And me now learning this new information makes me question everything. But when we fall to the extremes, we're on the either or, which is why yeah. the church has always been the both and. Yeah. And, and because the church anchors us, it doesn't have us fall to those um, flimsy um, kind of fleeting thoughts on the two extremes. So I, I think it goes back to your, to your point, Dan. We have to really assess when someone brings up the idea of the Catholic church being outdated. What are they actually saying? Yeah. Um, Aaron and I have taught, and you've maybe taught this as well here before, Dan. There's a, a session we give on pastoral theology where... Um, we're teaching people how to minister to middle schoolers and high schoolers, but it's true universally. Yeah. When someone comes to you with a question, you can dominate it with all of the knowledge you have in your head, but you have to be sure that's even the question they're trying yep. to ask, right? So if someone comes up and they're like, well, isn't the Catholic church outdated anyway? Like maybe what they're saying by that is I live in a way that's not in accord with the church and some people now tell me that's okay, Yep. right? That's a whole different question than the legitimacy of the magisterium. Like we don't have to immediately go at the like, um, I, like the textbook answer, yep. if you will, like, let's feel out. What are they saying when they say that? And a lot of times in my experience, when someone says that the church is outdated, what they're saying is there's new exciting knowledge that I have from some podcast or some class. And it's making me wonder if the things that have been presupposed in my life are actually real. And it's like, okay, great. Let's talk about what those are. And then let's develop a relationship. 
or or that the church hasn't come to the terms with the times of the sexual revolution, sure, which, sure. which as uh, to your point, the, the there have been multiple sexual revolutions throughout human history, and the church has responded to and sustained herself through those, right? Like the even Paul in the gospel, I mean, in his letters is speaking against debauchery and orgies and drunkenness. It's like, this isn't new. And correct. Um, well, the fall but, of Rome, right? Yeah. And then the church yeah. still existed in Rome, even after the fall. It's like, yeah. But even like, I, I think of the hippie movement. It's like the, at that time, the hippie movement was like, this is everything. And this is going to shift the world. And like, this is the new way to live. And the church is so outdated. Right. Ooh. I've haven't really met any hippies lately, sure, sure. you know. And so there's these these new ideas. They're not stable. To Aaron's early point, and um, I even like LGBT movement. Uh, you know, I I I bet it's going to rise, reach a peak, and then kind of just fall into the shadows, just like the hippie movement did. There are still hippies today, but there's there's because if this actually isn't the best life to live and this isn't conducive to natural law or to human flourishing, ultimately people are going to see that. And the people who are going to see that are the, are the next generations, right? The next couple generations are going to be like, ah, I don't know if that's actually the the life I want. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to revert back to what is more stable, just like after the hippie movement. Yeah. Well, you have to tether yourself to something. So there's a proclivity in the human heart to be against things and not necessarily be to tether, tethered to things. So um, the analogy that I've been given before in, in my early conversion, I was doing a similar thing to what you were doing, Dan, going like, I don't know if I like am like in full um, understanding and agreement with all these things. Um, the analogy that was given to me is uh, like, there's, a, there's actually an adventure in a ship leaving harbor. Yep. Right. And there's actually times to leave Harbor into question, but you better believe that a ship can't remain out of Harbor its entire existence or it'll be swamped. Mm -hmm. Right. So like whenever we attach ourselves to this detachment, so like the hippie movement, other things, it's like, I'm not going to tether myself to anything because freedom is just out there, man. You know, yep. it's like actually kind of, but that's the danger is that it's only partial. Like the adventure isn't going out. It, like that's what we do on this podcast. Like we should question and like, man, what, what would the church say in this situation or whatever? Yeah. But eventually having a harbor is that which allows you to not have a swamped ship, a ship that sinks. Yeah. And so you're right. If you stay out in open water long enough, the ship's going to sink. And then another ship's going to try to go out and be like, we're going to stay out here forever. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, you have to have both. It has to be mm -hmm. a a come and a go. I love that. Okay, so first misconception, the church is outdated. Uh, second misconception is that the church doesn't care about people. This is uh, something that I think comes up a lot, especially in the... Um, it, it, they don't usually say the church doesn't care about people, right? The, the phrases are usually, oh, the church hates gay people or uh, the church doesn't care about women. Uh, the church... Uh, is 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 against freedom. You know, it's that the, there's somehow the the church doesn't care about the human person or the dignity of the person, and doesn't doesn't care about women's rights, doesn't care about uh, marriage, doesn't care about love. All these things that they that were irrelevant as it, as if the teaching is all that matters and the person doesn't. Um, how 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 have you guys heard this, and how do you respond to this? I mean, Dan, you and I have talked about this many times. I think, I think if the, the church is a way of describing multiple different realities <laughs> yeah. and 
uh, organizationally, that's just objectively false. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at look at what most of the hospitals around the United States of America and the world are built upon, mm-hmm. and it would be a foundation of Catholicism, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we were talking about uh, scholarship. Like, look at um, the history of science and education and uh, and and scholarship in general. Uh, like, how did those life-altering, world-changing um, movements come into come into position. Almost all of them yep. have foundations in Catholicism, mm-hmm. right? And and those those ones weren't the work of individual Christians. Those ones were truly the organized work of an organized church. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you've got like you've got the organizational component. Oh, and those things aren't just historical. Like those things are those things are still happening. Mm-hmm. Um, nearly every diocese around the country, I would argue, around the world, I would argue, uh, has organized outreach as a, as a function of its social effort. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then also you've got, you know, the, the, the call and, uh, and we, we've spoken about this in the past, like the, the expectation of every Christian, mm-hmm. um, of every Catholic that not only is your faith, um, I guess, connected with, or, uh, uh, aligned with the idea of charity and good works, mm-hmm. but it's actually an expectation that that you can't you can't actually call yourself Catholic if you're not engaged in the work of actively loving and and fostering the care of those who are less fortunate mm-hmm. or investing in those who are struggling. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, it doesn't care for people. It's it's a um. I'm just trying to think through when that's been presented to me. What my um general thought about why they're saying it that way has been, and I think it's. It's similar to what we were saying earlier. I, I think that the world today is um, is equating care for people with full acceptance of as they are right now. And I don't think that's ever really been true before because we as, as human persons are, are two things. We're who we are and who we can be, okay? And the church has always been about maintaining both of those things. It's the reason we talk sinners and saints, it's because when you come in, we need you to know that you're embraced as you are, but we all hope, including you, for who you can be, right? And, and those can't be divorced from one another. It's actually beautiful in, in the family unit. Oftentimes, the maternal instinct is to care for the child as they are, and the paternal instinct is to help them become who they can be. That, that, that was written into us because there's something about the human person that needs both. Mm. Like when I'm sitting here at this table, I hope you two as brothers love Brad as he is. But if I'm just who I am today for the rest of my life, well, that would be a sad story because there's actually growth to be had. There's improvement to be had. And and those are hard things for us to even hear. Like yeah. some people who have bought into the secular dogma might even be upset with hearing me say that, that there's improvement to be had. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that I'm a project? It's like, no, 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 you're, you're a person who's figuring out what relationship looks like, right? And I think that that's one side of it. The only other comment I would make is that I think that when you look at any way to explain the world, what I've fallen in love with with the Catholic faith is it's not a scientism where it's impersonal by its nature. It's it's theology, which is at its foundation, a relationship with persons, right? That like I was made in the image of the Trinity. I'm coming to know Father, Son, and Holy Spirit more. And as I get to know them more, I know who I am more. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a beautiful way of explaining the world that's super personal and super people-oriented. Whereas like the scientism that often accompanies people who are saying that the church 
doesn't care about people. It's like, well, that has no person basis at all. You're giving credit to the universe. Like that's a very impersonal thing. Mm. And so those are kind of the two things that I'm wrestling with as we're talking about this, but I think that they both yeah. have merit. Yeah. That's really interesting. I think the, um, when I, when I hear comments from people, I often, it, you said it earlier, Aaron, it's, it's, um, just woeful ignorance that the, like when, when you hear that the church doesn't care about women, it's like, Mary, <laughs> come like, on. Well, no, but like, yeah, have you, yeah, like, no other organization in the world, no other institution in the world has fought more for women's freedom and women's rights than the Catholic church. There's, there's absolutely no one cares more and has consistently for 2000 years cared more for the dignity of women mm -hmm. than the church. And so if, if you're upset about the fact that only men are priests, then that, that isn't, that doesn't mean that the church doesn't care about women. Or if That's you're right. upset that the, the church um, is against abortion, that doesn't mean that the church doesn't care about women. That the misconception is what well, you're, you're looking at one issue and making a generalization at, at, without understanding what has the church done to care for women? And you could you could mm -hmm. make that same, if you will, conversation or argument with almost every single topic that they bring up. Yeah. Um, that the the church has been an advocate for the rights of workers. The church has been an advocate. Well, yesterday we were texting with a friend who was talking about how like we, um, you know, like we need we need to share as the church more about the the dignity of work and the dignity of the person in the secular world, like mm -hmm. that's uh, out, out in the world as a missionary. And it's just like, Oh man, the church has been like developing like great teaching on the call of the secular laity for mm -hmm. like th thousands of years. And we have an encyclical on the dignity of work. And we have like the, like we have a, a patronage to St. Joseph, the laborer, yeah. right? The worker. And that there's so much in our way of life that we've mm. developed throughout the thousands of years that mm -hmm. that person probably just doesn't know of when they're bringing up an, a, a, a misconception. Yeah. I think probably the biggest one right now is of course the LGBT movement that the mm -hmm. church doesn't care about gay people or the church doesn't care about um, those who, you know, trans uh, identify as transgendered. How, how do we respond to that misconception? Because it's so prevalent in popular conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, it's so interesting because it's like, it's hard for me to distinguish between um, groups because they're all persons. Like all those are people. So the LGBT community is a vast number of individuals, mm -hmm. right? It would be like me saying, how, how do I relate to people from Portsmouth? Uh, well, I mean, like there, there's, there can be general principles, but for the most part, everyone in Portsmouth is a different person. Right. And Portsmouth is my hometown. If you're listening for the first time, like I think, and if you've never heard of Portsmouth, Ohio, that's you need to check perfectly it out. fine. No, 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 it's not actually, um, <laughs> you drove you through need it to, once, you need but to, you, you did. Yes. It's on the Ohio river. Beautiful. Um, check it out sometime. But I, I, the reason I bring that up is because I'm going to give principles here, but what you'll notice is these principles are going to be able to be applied to every single other group that you could possibly categorize yeah. as a group. Um, which is this, that like, if I'm as a person in the church relating to a group that has a way of life or thoughts that don't align with the church, the first thing is allowing them to recognize I still find dignity in them. That in the same way I'm confused about things, I can, I can still come before the Lord. 
I want to bring myself before them with total humility and recognizing that they have a way of life that's not going to necessarily align with mine. In that, as a relationship develops, I'm going to find avenues when they ask questions or when I find it appropriate to maybe assert opportunities to say things that actually do two things at the same time. Again, they uphold the dignity of the person made in the image and likeness of God across from me. And they also instruct the ignorant, which is a work of mercy, Mm -hmm. right? So to me, that's where our church, again, um, in the movements and within will sometimes find itself at extremes, which is let's just embrace them as they are. And eventually they'll come to the truths of the church, or let's tell them right away that this is the reality. And, And both of those extremes tend to not find the results we're looking for. So I think it's a balance of a pastoral application recognizing that I'm, I'm shepherding a person across from me, but also, um, love can never be divorced from truth. So allowing truth to still prevail when I'm in that relationship. I I don't know if that's, those are broad principles, but again, it's, it's hard to instruct an entire group. I I think I lean in, in two directions here. Uh, number one, if, if I believed that you were engaging in an activity or a, or a lifestyle or decision that was unhealthy, um, it, it would be, and it is a work of charity and a hard one for me to actually try to align you with what I believe is best for you. And, uh, that, that's a, I think that's a hard pill to swallow, but it's, um, it's a reality that's been rooted, not just in today's modern social climate, but throughout all of history. So there's never been a time where the church did not consistently stand up against different viewpoints, lifestyles, and perspectives. Dan, as you identified earlier, even through scripture in the old or in the in the New Testament and in the early church, um, that uh, lifestyles that stood contrary not to order and establishment, but lifestyles that stood contrary to what we believe stands foundational to our identity as having been made in the image and likeness of God. Um, that anything that's outside of that scope is viewed as something that's not going to be good for you. And it's not going to, it's not going to align. You know, if, if you're, if you're made to operate in a certain way, if we try to operate outside of that norm, uh, things just don't work right. Mm-hmm. Right. My, uh, uh, crappy analogy, my, my vehicle is made to operate on gasoline. If I fill the tank with diesel, it's, it's not going to operate. I, I can maybe try to do some things. I can, I can manipulate the engine in order to try to make it work differently. But eventually everything's going to come back to the fact that like mm-hmm. uh, coming to the truth of understanding who I'm created to be and in whose image I was made, that's a foundational reality to Christianity mm-hmm. that we can't step away from. And the second point I think is connected to it that um, Catholicism uh, doesn't, uh, doesn't compromise on those foundational truths and at the same time, at the same time, uh, treats everyone to the same standard. So mm-hmm. it, it, I, I think we've, we've fallen into a trap of believing that like, yeah, you know, X, Y, and Z life of sinfulness and disobedience is fine and understandable. But when it comes to homosexuality or when it comes to trans culture, like that, those, those things are off the table. Yeah. And that, that's not the message of Catholicism. Uh, sin is sin is sin. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly some may be more scandalous and, and uh, dangerous in some contexts. But uh, I know every time I step into mass, 
uh, that I am both invited um, and accepted and that my sin is not tolerated. Mm, that's right. And uh, that's, that's a message that's applied to me. It's applied to both of you. Certainly. And it's been applied to every human being, mm-hmm. priest, bishop, pope, throughout the course of human history. And that, I think it's a really good thing because, because I know that uh, it, it, sets a, it sets a bar of expectation that um, there, there should be no harsh judgment between individuals because we are all in process toward heaven. And yet at the same time, we just simply can't compromise on the things that, uh, that maybe we'd be tempted to because, because we want to belong or be accepted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think objectively, we know that the church <clears throat> is a pillar of love, right? I, know what you, I love what you said, Aaron. You're, you're both accepted and invited and yet your sin's not tolerated. And I, I think that is... Right. That's that was the disposition of Jesus. As right? you are, as you can be. Yeah. At the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I, I wonder too. Like, are some of these misconceptions our own marketing fault? Right. Yeah, ha- for sure. Have, have we led? Mm-hmm. Have we led the conversation <laughs> with a "Thou shall not" yes. as opposed to "Happy yeah. are you"? You know. Yeah. And, what we're stating is the message of Catholicism, mm-hmm. not necessarily the message of Catholics. Yeah. yeah exactly. That's good. Priests, bishops, mm-hmm. or otherwise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I and I think you know the 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 reaction to if if "Thou shall not" it precedes mercy, right? If it's more important than, or if that's our first message, then we're going to get a bad rep and. And we're going to be condemned. Yeah. And as, as you were <laughs> suggesting, that, yeah. it's it, Brad, it starts with the relationship that there's, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, it, it's easy to say that, well, the church hates this person or the church because, well, the, no, if I'm the church, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, do I love this person? And, and in those conversations, in like, um, you know, I've had conversations before where someone will have a strong man argument of like, well, the church doesn't care about, uh, you know, this population or this population. I'm like, well, do you, have you seen, you've known me for years. Have you seen in my life that I care about that population? Mm-hmm. And, and well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, I'm the, like, I'm the church and I've been molded by the church. And I think what one of the, the, the core issues is the everyday Catholics love isn't radical enough. It's not extreme enough because mm. no no one ever said Mother Teresa doesn't care about people or or even though everyone knew where Mother Teresa stood on abortion, no, no one ever accused Mother Teresa of hating women, right? Like that her love was so extreme, so radical, so mm-hmm. apparent that you couldn't... Everyone, even if you were a complete agnostic atheist church hater, you you couldn't you couldn't throw her under a bus because her life mm-hmm. was so radical. And and when our love is so evident, and when we truly do love the least of these, yeah, then we have credibility to stand. Yeah, well, that's the that's right beautiful. that's Damn. the right order too. That's the right order because I, I was as I was listening to you, Aaron. What I was thinking is, when did we start? judging off of who someone thinks I am by them judging on what I do, right? Like, like when you reject what I do, you're not rejecting who I am, but we've conflated those two things in the world, Mm. right? That like we go from do to be. And with what you're saying, Dan, right? Is like mother Teresa was so rooted in that identity. She understood who she was that 
all that she did flowed from that. Right. And if we can get that right within the church that like, yeah, like fundamentally I'm a beloved son who lives in a fallen world who has concupiscence and who needs a redeeming and merciful father. If I recognize that in me, then everything I do is trying to bring others to realize that same thing, which is by definition acts of love. So I think that like we have to be really good in the church to, to help people recognize that when I am condemning or challenging what you're doing, I'm not condemning who you are, right? Like that, because what you're then saying is you are what you do. Mm -hmm. And if I was what I do, then I would not be in the uh, land of the living for all of eternity, right? Because the Lord has actually said that there's something below what you do. And I want to orient you to that because then what you do, shit. That's so good. Um, okay, we're going to go to our third misconception. Uh, this this is probably the biggest one, and we have the shortest amount of time to address it. Uh, but the just this misconception that it's um, it's not about religion, it's about relationship, right? That, oh, well, and we, we, we meet the person who constantly, like, well, I'd say this, you probably meet this person regularly at work, on the airplane, and conversation at your dinner table, who says that they are spiritual, but they're not religious, and yeah. um, that they believe in God, and they, they even believe in Jesus, but they, uh, they've rejected religion. Um, this, how do, how do we respond? Aaron, maybe you want to kick us off on what do we, what do you say when it's not about religion? It's about relationship. um, It is, it is curious. I, I, I laugh because uh, I know even around this table, there's different perspective when it comes to our need, our need to preserve language. And I think there has been a shift in language here. So for example, um, in a number of uh, I don't know whether to, to what degree our audience has been exposed to this, but in a number of, of um, Catholic uh, honoring and Catholic loving non-denominational Christian movements, the word religion has taken on a connotation that's different from the way that Catholicism uses it. And uh, I would say the word religion is often associated with form and even um, ritual. Yeah, what the Pharisees did. So form, form and ritual, uh, and and because of that, you'll often hear, you know, again, a person who a person who in private conversation or publicly might really honor the work of Catholicism and the impact of the church and the the belief of, and the and have friendship with fellow Catholics and worship with them, uh, might stand up on stage and and denounce the spirit of religion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I think, I think in a sense, we, we need to be able to have conversation with those individuals identifying like, yeah, of course, uh, the Catholic church objectively stands opposed to empty ritual mm-hmm. uh, and, mm-hmm. and form without power. I mean, that's a, a quote from scripture, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, we, we do want to safeguard the word yeah. and, the, and the history of the word. Yeah. Man, it's, 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 uh, I think it, it really does like break my heart that it's happened because I think that there's so much in the world that we as the church need to come together to stand against that when we get caught up on semantics, it, yeah. it's unfortunate. What I would say is something like this. So the church, the Catholic church has always taught that religion is a virtue and it's a virtue of communion with God. St. Augustine breaks down the word religion to its fundamental root, meaning to bind. 
So the reason religion came about in the first place, that word was to suggest that we need something around how to define the binding of God to man and man to God. And religion was the word that came from that. Aquinas then takes it and says religion is actually the virtue of communion with God by giving him what he's due, which is worship. And that falls under justice. And so the church has always stood there, which is why oftentimes when you hear someone speak against religion, the church is so strong to be like, what are you saying? But again, to your point, they're actually using the word differently than how we're using it. I think if we take it out of this particular conversation and just look in our everyday lives, think about this. You two have um, families, and as Nina and I are on our way to see what God has for us in, in starting a family, like I think there's, there's something to be said about the fact that organic life with your family is really good right? Like when you go home from work and you weren't expecting what happens and all of a sudden Rowan's running around or Liliana's running around and there's something to that that's exciting, adventurous, and right. There's also something to having dinner with your family where you all sit at the table. Mm. And maybe you even do the same thing every time. Maybe you pray a specific prayer at the beginning. Maybe you have a way of conversation that goes about. There's an order and a structure to it. You might say there's a ritual to it. The church has always stood by the fact that we need both things. Yep. We need an organic relationship with God, which we talk about as an openness to charisms, which is literally an openness to the gifts Holy Spirit gives to connect me to Jesus, mm -hmm. okay? That's needed. There's also this hierarchical dimension that's co-essential that we find in the magisterium and in the beauty of the layout of the mass, the beauty of the layout of the liturgy of the hours that we also need because both of those are critical for relationship. I can even take it into my relationship with Nina, right? Like it's amazing sometimes when we come home and we just decide to take this like walk that goes longer than we expected. We talk about things we didn't have predetermined. And it's also really beautiful when we come home and we go over the budget for the month because that allows us to live freely in the other place. Both, both the order of that and the spontaneity of the other are critical for relationships. Mm -hmm. So what I would say is you, you, you wouldn't need, um, Paul wouldn't need to tell Timothy like Aaron said, that we don't want to take the form of religion and deny its power if we didn't need both form and power. Mm -hmm. He would just say, make sure to keep power in faith. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't. He says they'll take the form of religion, which is critical, but deny its power. Empty form is stupid. Power without structure is dangerous. When you have both, you have the yeah. church. Yeah, that's awesome. The, uh, I, I think the this is just another area where we just need to be in relationship with people. I completely agree. Because it's so funny when you meet someone, they're like, Oh man, I had no idea Catholics love Jesus so much. Well, yeah. it's like, if, if we love Jesus, if we love scripture, if, if we have a personal relationship with Jesus as Catholics mm -hmm. and we are invested in other people's lives, they're going to see that. If we are living a dynamic uh, relationship with Jesus they're they're going to recognize that that that's just not even it's not a true statement. And I think it yeah. is. I think the concern is against this pharisaicalism that somehow the mass is pharisaical, assuming that when you go to mass, you look at everyone at mass and it doesn't look like they love Jesus. And if if they if you know, which statistically a lot of Catholics don't even believe in the real presence of the Eucharist, if we are bowing at a piece of bread that we don't believe is Jesus, then we're actually giving credit to this argument. And the way to, to, to uh, oppose the argument 
is to be a people who love Jesus and who live, as you said, Brad, life in the Holy Spirit. That mm-hmm. when our hearts are consumed in relationship with Him through the order um, of 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 Catholicism, people will say, "Oh, okay, this is this is actually beautiful." And mm-hmm. when people encounter our community, that's that's their response, right? Like, yeah. "Oh my, like I I've never seen this before." Like where there's this there is the form and there's the power mm-hmm. and they're hungry. Like they're like, this is incredible. There's, there's so much beauty. Well, it to feels this. natural. Yeah. It feels natural because you, you know, you were made for both. Yeah. Like, like try to sit in a room and do nothing structured for a week. Mm-hmm. You can't do it. Eventually you're going to develop a structure. Of course you are, but also try to just live a week of pure structure with no free ability. Like you, yeah. it, it's natural to have, it's just natural to wed the two and to find the balance. Well, and I even wonder what, just as earlier I said, like what, what truth, where are you building your truth from the, the group that's trying to win youth in the media and win you mm-hmm. through advertising and get you to buy into them and get your money or the group that's stable and unrefuting and what they say is truth. The same thing I would say with what church are you attending? Is it, you know, in the early 1900s, uh, I our first house, Aaron and I lived in a neighborhood, like we we had different houses in the neighborhood where the houses were all built in the early 1900s. And if you look at the architecture back then, everyone's porches were on the front, front of the house. And uh, it was outward facing, community oriented. If you look at modern day construction, the porches are on the, on the back of the house, right? That it's inward facing, that we've gone as a people in the last hundred years from being outward facing to inward facing. There's been this inward turn. And to some extent, religion, if you will, or Christianity has done the same thing in that it used to be an outward practice of faith that I go to mass to worship the living God. It's it's an outward expression. Modern day Christianity, a lot of times is inward facing consumerism. It's, it is, I'm coming to receive. And the mega church mentality is how do we get as many people in as possible? And to some extent, when you're trying to get as many people in as possible, you may run the error of providing what the consumer wants as opposed to giving God what he has asked for. And so when when looking at the the different church options, or um, it, am, I, am I rejecting religion because that's simply... It's more convenient to have my coffee in in the church sanctuary, um, or am I rejecting religion because hmm. this like this actually wasn't what God asked for? Is there something about religion, as you said, Aaron? Uh, I mean, Brad, giving God what He is due, it draws me outward as opposed to only being inward. So yes, I need to be inward. I need to have a personal prayer life. I need to be reflective. I need to contemplate. I need to discover the Holy Spirit within. I need to look look at my soul and my conscience and, and discover God there. But I also have to be outward and realize that I worship a God who is other, yeah. uh, the God of Mount Sinai, who came with flashes of lightning and peals of thunder and billows of smoke. And I need to fall to my knees and worship yeah. him. Yeah, both and. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Any last thoughts as we close up? I mean, Dan, I think we, I think we keep coming back to the same, uh, to the, one of the same truisms that, that, you can't live Catholicism outside of the context of relationship. And I would extend that even to the fact that it was never God's intention that we would that we would live relationship with him outside of the context of community. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we, when we, when we begin to fall into that trap of thinking like, okay, I, I need to bunker down. I need to figure out my spirituality. I need to sit down with scripture and, 
work things out with God or with the spirit or with whatever, you know, whatever that thing is, we, we miss the fact that the body of Christ is, is a relationship between a head and a body, mm-hmm. a body that's made of many parts. And it, you know, uh, it, it was God's intention that, that we would be one, like, like he and the father are one. Mm-hmm. It, it was, it was God's intention that we would be called into a place of community that I would go to, that I would go to church on Sunday with people who I disagree with and mm-hmm. who, uh, who tend to ruffle my feathers, but who compliment my weaknesses, that I would be in communion with individuals who have different social desires than I do and different passions and different drives, mm-hmm. but that ultimately that, that big church community, it's, it's the fullest expression of, of what mm-hmm. the plan for Christianity is for the earth. Yeah. So uh, our tendency to push away from that, I think is, mm. is really the trial. Yeah. Mm. I have a very simple conviction and it's this, if you're listening today and, um, and your natural proclivity is to uh, remain in your home frustrated about what the world's looking like, I would encourage you to get out into the world. Um, because it's actually us representing love in the world that gives credence to the words that we say. So like if, if you're someone who's tending towards only hanging out with your Christian friends only hanging out with the family that God's blessed you with. I want you to do both of those things, but yeah. also put yourself in a place where you're a witness of the truths of the faith in public because we can, as a church, um, become just a people that get together and complain about where the world's going, or we can be catalysts for movement in the world. And I think the latter is really needed in our day and age today. So um, if you're listening here, don't allow yourself to just get frustrated and talk more at tables with Christians about how the world is so off, but actually allow yourself to go out with Christians to help bring the truth to the world. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you would, uh, we just pray in repentance for any way that we have failed to represent you Mm -hmm. and failed to represent your church, the, the pure spotless bride. We pray in repentance for any way that we have, um, been arrogant and um, and not filled with love and mercy. Lord, we pray for in repentance for any times we haven't shared truth and we, we've ran away from sharing the truth. And we just pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would fill us, fill the church, fill all of the faithful so that we could be a light that shines in the darkness, so that we could be the voice of truth, and so that we could represent your insane, uh, unconditional, irrevocable, a reckless love that you poured out on the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. My prayer for you and for us here at this table is, a table is that we would live incredible love and that our lives of mm-hmm. love would be a, uh, the missionary endeavor that leads people to an encounter with Jesus. Join us next week on Beyond Damascus.